Thank you so much, Tom. Let me invite you to find a Bible this morning. If you don't have one with you, you should be able to find one in the pew in front of you. And turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 11. For some this morning, this will be a familiar story. Uh, It has all the elements of an exciting story. Surprise, shock, sex, murder. Maybe you've read the story. Maybe you've heard sermons over this story. But I hope this morning we can read the story together in a fresh way. Uh, Having spent a little more time in the life of David, we have a little more background now about what has been going on. Let me again invite you to 2 Samuel chapter 11. We're going to read the text this morning and we're going to study it. But before we read, let me remind you that we left off last week in 2 Samuel chapter 9 with David at the table with Mephibosheth. It was a beautiful story of grace and unexpected provision. In this story, we see David at his best. Now, in chapter 10, we'll not read this chapter, but we see a description of a war. This is really the background, the context for today's story. So when we come to verse 1, we realize that a war is going on. So 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabah. But David remained in Jerusalem. Now, in the ancient world, winters were not good times to fight. There were heavy rains, and so most countries would wait until the springtime, and they would go out and resume the war that was going on. So they're heading out to fight in the spring, but notice the contrast here in the text. The kings go off to war, but, that's a big word there in the text, but David does what? He stays at home. David was not where he was supposed to be. Now, the kings are supposed to be in battle. But David decided that he would take a break from his responsibilities. Now, at this point in David's life, he's about 50 years old. He's been the king for 20 years or so. He's distinguished himself as a musician, a faithful shepherd of God's people. On the battlefield, he's been a warrior and a strong leader for his people. He might even be able to make the case that he needs a break. So everybody is going to war except David. Now, we're reminded in this story that sin is often the result of idle time. When we put ourselves in places where we have little responsibility, we somehow think that we deserve to rest because we've accomplished so much. Sometimes when we put ourselves in that sort of place, we lose focus. We forget who God has called us to be, what God has called us to do. And oftentimes when we're in a place like that, the attack of the evil one is just around the corner. Now, if you've decided this morning that you're in a place where you need to take a break from your calling, uh, your mission, God's mission, be aware. Now, certainly God does call us to rest. He calls us to Sabbath, but that's not what's going on here. David is failing to be the king that God has called him to be. He's checking out on God's plan, and he's doing his own thing. Now, not only did David bail on his responsibility, but he also lets his guard down in our story today. Now, one thing we're going to do, I want to do before we talk about what happens here, is talk about our eyes. You see, in ancient thought, our our eyes were understood as the window to the soul. 
both what you let in your eyes and also what is reflected out of your eyes. Jesus once said this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 22 and 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now what does that mean? On the one hand, our eyes reveal what's going on inside of us. If you ever watch a TV show or a movie and there's a villain, you can always tell from their eyes, right? And the ancients also understood that it was very important what went into our eyes. And so one night, David is walking around on his palace rooftop. Look at verse 2 with me. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. Now, you've got to wonder... If he knows what he's gotten up to see, or if it's a surprise, we're not really sure. But in verse 2 we read, From the roof he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. Now, David could probably see many things from his rooftop, but this catches his eye. It's a woman bathing. Scripture tells us that she is very beautiful. Now, I find it interesting that that word, very beautiful, or those two words together, are only used ten times in all of Scripture. The Hebrew word for beautiful is the word tov. It's sometimes translated good or pleasant. And it's used 455 times in all of Scripture. But only 10 times do we see the Hebrew word miad, which means very, placed before it. In other words, Bathsheba is not simply beautiful. She is extremely beautiful. Now, David has many wives and concubines. You might think that David would be satisfied with what he already has. But that's not how sin works. We think that if we can get one more, we will be satisfied. But the reality is that when we have an addiction, the more we have, the more we want. Whether it's money or sex or alcohol or drugs or pornography, we think if we can have just a little more, we'll be satisfied. David's wives and concubines reveal that David has a problem in this area. David was faithful to God in many ways, but when it comes to his wives, he was not following God's plan. In fact, we read in the book of Deuteronomy, in the law, Deuteronomy chapter 17, it says, He must not take many wives, or his heart will be led astray. David did not pay attention to this. And so when he sees an extremely beautiful woman, he is tempted. He doesn't stop with a glance. He continues to look and inquire about her. Verse 3, and David sent someone to find out about her. The report comes back. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Now, you could say that David should have never been on the rooftop that evening. And he should have been in battle doing what kings do. And once David catches a glimpse of a woman bathing, you might make the case that he should have turned away. He should not have indulged his eyes and allowed this image into his heart. And still once he discovered that she's married, no doubt he should have dropped it. But David keeps going. David's a passionate man, isn't he? And when he sees something that he wants, he doesn't stop. Now remember also David is king. And kings have immense power in this day and time. And so David takes advantage of his power. Verse 4, then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and slept, and he slept with her. Now, she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. Then she went back home. Given the position of women in this society, Bathsheba would not have had a choice. Verse 5. 
The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. Now David's in a tough position, isn't he? He knows that Bathsheba's husband will know that the baby is not his. He's been off at battle. He's been fighting. And maybe Bathsheba will tell him what happened. David's reputation may be ruined. It will be a royal scandal. David cannot simply enjoy a night of passion and just continue on without being noticed. You know, sin is, is like this, isn't it? It's seldom without consequence. Even when there's not a pregnancy, sin always harms. Sin always destroys. David may have moved on without truly recognizing his sin, but the pregnancy forces him to deal with it. We have to remember that sin will always look appealing on the outside, and the consequences of sin are not always apparent. The heavy drinker never thinks about the hangover or the fact that his family might be ruined in time. The drug user is never warned that she'll have a long and sorrowful dead-end road. The thief never thinks he'll get caught and end up behind bars. Certainly the adulterer never considers pregnancy a real possibility. But when sin is done, the consequences are left. What is he going to do? Now, let's talk about Uriah for a moment. Uriah is one of David's top warriors. He is mentioned as part of David's elite 30. He probably belonged to the nobility in Jerusalem. That would explain why his house is so close to David's house. And David has a plan. Look at verse 6. So David sent word to Joab. Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was, how the soldiers were, and how the war was going. Now Uriah thought he's being called home to give an account of the war. But David has another plan. Look at verse 8. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace and a gift from the king was sent after him. But David is really setting the stage for Uriah to spend time with his wife. David hopes this will cover up his actions. Look at verse 9. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all his master's servants and did not go down to his house. And you might be wondering, why would he not do this? He's got you know, a vacation from the king to come home and spend time with his wife. Why would he not do that? What we may not understand is that in these times, as a warrior, as a soldier, you had to remain clean. And if, if you had sexual intercourse, then you were considered unclean. And so when soldiers were on a military campaign, they needed to remain clean. And Uriah understood this. And Uriah was faithful. He was not willing to bend the rules. This is probably why he was in David's elite group of warriors. Do you see the contrast here in the story? Uriah is faithful, considering himself to be on duty. He has a mission and will not let anything get in the way of his mission. In contrast, David is unfaithful, considering himself to be on vacation. He ignores God's law and indulges in adultery. Verse 10. David was told Uriah did not go home. So he asked Uriah, haven't you just come from a military campaign? Why didn't you go home? You had a long trip, Uriah. Wouldn't it have been better to sleep in your own bed? David figures if he can get Uriah in the bed with Bathsheba, his discretion will be covered up. Look at Uriah's response, verse 11. Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents, and my commander Joab and my Lord's men are camped in the open country. 
How could I go to my house and eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. Uriah's words and actions are faithful. David's plan didn't work. Verse 12, then David said to him, stay here one more day and tomorrow I'll send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. See, David was trying to figure out how he would could kind of weasel out of his mess, right? Now remember, he's a great leader, he's a great warrior, he's a great planner, he's used to winning at all that he does, and he keeps going in the cover-up scheme here. David thinks alcohol will solve the problem. Look at verse 13. At David's invitation, he ate and drank with him. And David made him drunk. But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among his master's servants. He did not go home. So even under the influence of alcohol, Uriah is still faithful. Let's keep going in the story. Perhaps David had been thinking about a plan B all along. We're not sure, but plan A is obviously not working. So look at verse 14. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it, he wrote, put Uriah out in front where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so that he'll be struck down and die. He hands Uriah the letter. Uriah is carrying his own death sentence in his hand. And Joab carries out the king's orders, verse 16. So while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. When the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. I mean, you might say, well, it's war, right? People die. Why not Uriah? This would surely make David's life a lot easier. For the next six verses here, we get an account of Joab's message to David. Joab is worried that David is going to be upset. The way in which the battle played out might show incompetence on his part. And Joab is worried that David might get angry at him. But he tells the servant, don't forget to mention Uriah's death. In verse 21 we read, if he asks you this, then say to him, moreover your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead. Joab knows David well. He knows that David is a skilled warrior. He knows that David knows what to do and what not to do. And I'm no military strategist and I really don't understand what's going on here. But it seems that David's response here indicates that this is not the same David that he once was. David responds in verse 25. David told the messenger, say this to Joab, don't let this upset you. The sword devours one as well as the other. Press the attack against the city and destroy it. Say this to encourage Joab. David is justifying his actions here. You know, people have to die. It's war, right? This is just what happens. So why not Uriah? Might as well be him instead of another man. Again, it will certainly make David's life a lot easier. Verse 26. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. I mean, think about Bathsheba for just a moment. She's forced to sleep with the king, and now her husband is dead. And then David brings her into his house and marries her. Verse 27, after the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. From the outside, it might have all looked innocent. You may have even applauded David for rescuing a widow. Certainly there were some top advisors who knew the truth, but 
Most had no clue that their king was an adulterer. And perhaps David was able to hide his wrongdoing from his people, but he wasn't able to hide it from God. Scripture tells us in verse 27, But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. The story is not over, but we're going to pause here and we're going to pick it up next week. For now, it seems that David has escaped a scandal. But look at what just happened. Lust, adultery, hypocrisy, murder. And maybe you're thinking like I'm thinking, how could David have done this, have committed this sort of sin and just moved on with his life? We know from the reading of the Psalms that David was anything but happy at this point in his life. A man who had been very close to God, walking very close to God, is now separated from God by sin. David writes in Psalm chapter 32, when I kept, my, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Though my groaning all day long, through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. I would imagine David dealt with sleepless nights, the haunting of sins that he had committed. As we open up the next chapter, we're going to see God act in the midst of David's cover-up operation. But for now, David has chosen to make one poor decision after another. He's traveled down the road of temptation and lies and finally murder. How can a man who walks with God be capable of such action? You know, as we close this morning, this story is a reminder for us that none of us is exempt from such a fall. If David, a man after God's own heart, can commit such acts, so can we. As we think about this story, may we be challenged, may we be aware of the slippery slopes of our world. Perhaps there are some here today who are living in a place of hidden sin. Perhaps you're like David at this point in your life. All looks well on the surface, but underneath the hidden sins are eating you alive the challenge today for us is to confess our sins to come clean with God for others you may not have acted in ways as extreme as David but you may be allowing your eyes to see what you should not for others it might be the pride of position allowing you to let your guard down may we never justify walking down roads that are clearly marked off by God. May we be willing to confess our sins, allowing God to restore and heal us. And the message today is that Jesus died for our sins. If we confess our sins, we're told he's faithful and just to forgive us of all sins. Might we come to God? Might we be transparent with God? Might we be open with him? Might we say to him, God, I have, I have done wrong. Would you forgive me. May we be challenged to repent today. Would you pray with me? God, we are grateful today for this story. It's a hard story to hear. It's a challenging story. To see one who had walked so close to you making such terrible mistakes. God, we are challenged in this story to confess our sin. We're challenging this story to be on guard for the sin that all of us are capable of doing. And we pray, God, for your healing and your provision. 
God, if there are any among us this morning who are struggling, may they see the hope that is in you. May they come to you confessing. May they come to you seeking hope and healing, knowing, God, that you are faithful. We love you, God, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.